welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. This segment will be studying the book of Acts, where our risen Christ is made manifest in the early church. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday. chapter 12 and we'll be reading that whole chapter and I know that uh, we're, we're reading longer portions of text but I, I'm very happy about that because what we're doing what Chad and I have been doing is trying to build a bigger picture to help us to see how it is that God is working in the early church how he's moving and, and all that's going on. And sometimes when we read through some of these, this narrative, these stories, uh, and we, we may remember this one in particular because Peter is released miraculously from prison. And we remember it with, with uh, a really happy emotion and, and we're excited to hear of this good news and, and how God redeems but sometimes when we get a little bit of a tunnel vision, we focus on the details and we forget the context. And so this morning we want to we build all of this out in context so that we can see all that God is doing uh, in the grand scheme of things. And so hopefully this helps us in our context uh, for today. And so Acts chapter 12 and I'll just begin in verse 1. I welcome you to stand as we read from God's Word together. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him uh, to four quaternions uh, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind up thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto them, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wits not, it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they come into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, 
Now I know of surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to, to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then, the, then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, shew these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration to, unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not, the, gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Father, we come to you and we ask that you open this text to us. God, that we would see all that it is you had done. Lord, that you would teach us all it is that you're doing in our day. God, that you would teach us to obey. That we would see how it is that we should respond to this text and to our own circumstance. God, I pray as we study together that we would better understand our own identity within the church. God, that you would ready our heart for whatever it is that you call us to, whatever end it is that we would meet, whatever ministry that you've called us to partake in. And Lord, in all of this, that you would be manifest in your church today the way that you were at first. God, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So.
So no doubt this is a miraculous event. We see great persecution building up for the church. There's a great irony as the people of God have really never left persecution. We've talked about in the past how the Jews were persecuted during the Roman peace. And yet here the Jews have found comfort with the Romans as they persecute the church. This chapter begins with the death of a brother. So we trust that all scriptures God breathed, that every one of these writers are inspired of God, and so we shouldn't forget that as Luke is recording this miraculous event, this freedom, this redemption of Peter, he frames that and he begins the, the story, the narrative, or in this portion, with the death of our brother James. <clears throat> And so instead of walking away from this, just simply rejoicing or thinking how great is our God, He's redeemed us, He's, he's not going to allow us to sit in prison or something else, which by the way, we have to be careful of, as you may have heard sometime here or there, us talk about critical race theory or something else. Another term that you might hear in our day is called uh, liberation theology, Boy, they would eat this up about Peter being set free, taken out of his shackles. And yet the reality is, is that sort of mindset doesn't acknowledge at all the death that was prescribed the church. James was put to death. And, and what makes Peter's release so miraculous is that he was condemned to the same fate. There was no question what was going to happen to Peter. There was no question in his mind or in the minds of all of the apostles who were praying all throughout the night for him. This narrative really carries a darkness. It is a dark occasion and so it's really hard to put together some of those relational aspects because we have a repetition of names uh, whether this was one of the sons of Zebedee the James and, and John who if you remember asked whose mother asked uh, of Jesus when you come into your kingdom well you have my sons sit on your right and on your left. And he responded, are they able to drink from the cup from which I drink? Indeed they will. It's possible, it's possible one of these, this occurrence is a fulfillment of those prophetic words of Christ. If this is one of the sons of Zebedee, Oh yes, 
He would die by the sword. He would be persecuted unto death the way that Christ was. And how surreal for all of the churches. They're experiencing death and they're mourning the death of a brother. They're anticipating the death of another brother. They're, they're remembering the death of their Lord and Savior. We're told this is the time of the Passover during the 11th feast. Now in our King James, it says the time of Easter. We know they're, they're celebrating the resurrection of Christ that would follow Passover. This isn't what the... It's not a Jewish holiday that they're talking about. And so 100% what must be on their mind is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's the, the mood of the chapter that we're reading. So whenever he finds his way, when Peter is set free and he finds his way to the house of, of Mary, whether this was the mother of the sons of Zebedee or, or a different one, uh, the mother of, of Mark, we don't need to spend a whole lot of time there, but we do see, I, I don't think there's any doubt that this is miraculous. There's reason for them to say, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Peter's not at the door. We won't be seeing Peter again. We're praying for his boldness. We know what he'll do. He's already killed James. He's going to kill Peter. And he's going to kill us when he has the opportunity. No, you didn't hear Peter. You heard you heard a messenger from Peter, from his spirit. Perhaps they've already killed him. We read he's, he's shackled. He's, he's been given extra guards. The Jews, the Romans, they're not going to let it happen again. They've already had a stone rolled away and have failed to find the body. They're not going to let it happen again. They're going to make sure this man is, is bound and shackled and, and nothing is going to stop them from, from killing him. And so this is the nature of the event. So first, if we leave ourselves some room for application as we walk through these stages, I guess, of, of our narrative, how well have we considered our own share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ? How willing have we accepted our fate in this world? How hard do we seek to prolong our life, our comfort, our abundance, our excess? How often do we read John's words, we've got a couple of Johns we're dealing with here. 
Perhaps one of them is the same one who wrote the epistle that said anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. How well do we consider this? The way that we've been called to a death in the flesh already. So when we experience newness of life, when we experience favor, whenever, whenever we see someone that accepts the gospel, it's miraculous. This is a person that wanted to see me destroyed. This was a person that was full of a love for the world. This was a person who was steeped in their own self-righteousness. Not only has God allowed me to live, but he's brought them eternal life. You see, that's part of our problem. And I didn't even, I don't mean to spend so much time here, but that's part of the problem with the church today. Is salvation's no longer miraculous to us. We think that if we're hype enough, man, this is just a natural decision. The only reason somebody hasn't accepted Jesus is because, you know, uh, they didn't uh, hear it presented to them cool enough or well enough. They don't understand that no, this is a gospel that puts two kingdoms against one another. And so we must read the rest of this. We must consider even Peter's redemption in light of a fate that every one of us will eventually face. So we'll talk more about this here in a minute. But we see this opposition, the death of the brother, and yet God is gracious. God is gracious to preserve a saint. Peter sits in his cell. He's asleep. He's bound in chains. He's prayed his last. He's awaited death. He's readied his heart for what he knows is going to come anyway. And yet God is so gracious. He sends the angel and, and, and this really should resonate with us. Whenever he sends an angel, his chains fall off, there's a light shining into his prison cell, and yet it doesn't wake up the guards. It doesn't wake up the ones at the door. And he kicks him in the side. It's not just a, 
It's kind of an interesting picture that Luke gives us. You know what I mean? He strikes him in the side and says, hey, get up. Wake up. Put on your sandals. Gird up your loins. Clothe yourself. Put your garment on. Let's go. Hurry. There's urgency. The door's open before them. Peter's sitting here thinking, I'm still asleep. God's showing me something like he did the sheet whenever I was fasting on the, on the roof before I came out to see uh, Cornelius. And he's being led through eventually into the city. The angel goes away and here he is in the middle of the street. I'm not sure if any of you all have ever experienced sleepwalking, but I could imagine Peter is, is in a whirlwind right now. But there comes a reality whenever we consider the purpose of God. What, what was it that God was doing? But before we get there, you've got to realize as Christians, as saints, even as apostles, we rely on God still. Not just for salvation, but daily it's why in the scriptures we read that the, the righteous man meditates on the law of God day and night. It's why we read that the, the Christian, the person, the man of God longs for God like a deer pants for water. We need God. We need His Word. We were just talking in Sunday school about the odd predicament it is whenever a son, when we cross paths with someone who supposes they're Christian and doesn't desire to be in God's Word at all. They don't desire to be in the fellowship of God's people. It's an anomaly. I'm not sure Scripture allows us that as a biblical category even. We need God. If all of creation is upheld by the word of His power, the way Hebrews 1 tells us, certainly the Christian is. The Christian is. And if we expect to be used by God this way, indeed God had a purpose, Peter would go on and share this testimony. We always see God is faithful to use us. He's got a purpose through all of this. And He always draws us to His Word and builds us up in the study of His Word. And He sends others to us to build us up in the maturity of the faith so we would share this faith and Peter goes on and he rushes to the house. What else am I going to do? I've got to seek out these brothers that are praying on my behalf and I'm going to tell them this good news. I'm not even going to rejoice in my own life so long as I have opportunity to share the good news that God has brought to me. Amen. This is my goal. He's visited me in my affliction and so now I'm going to visit everybody who will hear this message and I'm going to tell them about it. Even in the rejoicing. Peter, what are you doing here? Peter, you're still alive. Hush and listen. 
Hush and listen. And then listen well enough that you can go tell the brethren about this. And then he's gone so that he can tell the other brethren about this. There's a message that God has. Peter relies on it. And so he doesn't, at the end of all of this, when we view the preservation, even our own preservation, even whenever we come to realize that that I'm here. I was of the world. I hated the church. I was rebellious against God. And yet he saves me. And still as a saint. I stand here today. Satan is prowling to and fro like a lion. yet I'm still alive and well and sharing this message of the gospel. We rely on Him. God preserves us. It is why it's why we're not Arminian. You don't lose your salvation. This is God we're talking about. We are His. He tells us that I'm going to redeem you because you are going to be my possession. I own you. I protect you. I keep you. And so we rely on God. This is that important to us. Especially whenever we grasp our death Whenever we sing hymns, only a few more weary days before I fly away. When we're so cognizant of how short life truly is, then it makes this awfully sweet for God to carry us another day, for God to give us another breath. What else will you do but preach His grace? Yet this isn't the this isn't the end. It's not the conclusion. And it's not happily ever after. Luke is faithful to record for us what happens to the other side. We know our end, we've already been acquainted with death. We've seen the hand of God at work. We've been faithful and and been led to obedience to preach this message knowing that today wasn't the day. God's using me. Perhaps tomorrow I'll die. We're ready for that. And so that's the... We're we're, we're happy. The the Christian is then satisfied in all of this. As one preacher said, you know, a a pastor ought to preach with his resignation letter in his back pocket. And I think what he was talking about was the the turn or, or, or people's refusal to hear good preaching in the last days. But among the true church, that's not the case. 
Nevertheless, with the true Christian, they preach with their death certificate in their back pocket. And so we're ready. We're ready, but see. See how the world responds. How will the world respond whenever God is gracious to redeem? When God grants life for yet another day, whenever He sustains His people for a purpose and He thwarts the effects and the cause and the growth of this kingdom of darkness, when He thwarts the kingdom of darkness, see how they respond. They went mad and Herod commanded that they should be put to death. They lost, they lost their prisoner and they respond with more death. If we can call God's kingdom a kingdom of life, we can call the kingdom of the world a kingdom of death. I've heard various arguments for this as we see an increasing popularity of depictions of skulls uh, in art, increased popularity of zombie apocalyptic culture, movies, entertainment. But here, we see it readily in Scripture. We remember, we must reflect on the resurrection of Christ. And how the body couldn't be found. No one could be proven guilty. No one had stolen this body. This wasn't going to happen again. See how angry the world has become. This time they'll be put to death. You know what later we'll read in I believe chapter 15 and and elsewhere, maybe even in in one of Paul's own accounts in, in his letters, whenever the same happens to Paul, an angel comes in and, and, and breaks out the wall of the prison. So, so regular was this ministry of death and in, in, in trying to harbor Christians and trying to thwart the coming of God's kingdom on the earth that by then, by the time Paul comes around and God sets him free, the prison guards are ready to execute themselves. Christ had disappeared. It's not going to happen again. Peter's not going to happen. These men are put to death. It's obviously become the pattern because they they want to put themselves to death. They want to kill themselves. It's actually Paul who stops them. Or whenever he's on his missionary or in his incarceration and they have the shipwreck, they know it's my life or theirs. So the prison guards take out their swords and, and their intent was to kill everyone. Because they know if I don't, then, then I'm going to die anyway. That's the ministry of this world. It's the ministry of the Jews. It's the ministry of the Romans. It's the ministry of, soon enough, the American government. One day, 
Maybe not yet. One day. That's what the scripture tells us. Why is it that someone like Peter writes in his epistle later, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Does that not send chills up your spine? Think of who these people are that have written this word of God. They have prepared, God has prepared us well. And yet the world continues in their ministry of death. Only to worship themselves. Now let's look at the necessary end of self-worship. It's interesting to note that Tyre and Sidon, if we see that and tease this out a little bit, that they were dependent upon Herod for their food and for their wealth. They they would receive his distributions uh, from his reign and his government in order for them to thrive and survive. And so it was only natural uh, that they, they, they sought to appease him And so he comes out like a good king and he's going to make peace. They wanted peace. He's going to bring them peace. Don't be confused. We serve a king of peace, a prince of peace, but it's not the peace that everybody's calling peace among Tyre and Sidon that comes from Herod. Different peace we're talking about here. So we've got to be real careful in our day. What are we talking about when we seek World peace. So he arrays himself. He delivers kindness to the people, to all of these people. Gives them an oration. It's not even important. He doesn't have anything important to say anyway. He doesn't even call himself God. I think in our terms, there's a lot of ways in which we could make Herod somewhat innocent by by today's standards, by what you hear from so many pulpits. People say this comes from God, not from man. What a heavenly wisdom, a man to deliver peace to us from his own provision. There's only two kingdoms. The Bible speaks of a peace with the world and it speaks of a peace with God. The church is not warring against a Muslim nation. The church is not warring against a godless nation uh, of sending immigrants that will exhaust our resources. The church is not warring against uh, our own nation for the sake of a public court's view of an institution of God in marriage or in parenting or any other thing. 
And yet we are at war with all of them. So the people were pleased to praise Herod. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't give glory to God. He was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. There are two things, and I think both of these speak equally to the kingdom dichotomy that we have going on here. One is that if you are one who's sitting here and who is worshiping yourself, by the way, this is everywhere today. And if you think I'm not talking about you, I want you to listen up very closely. Because I've seen a number of your social media accounts. Think of how many of us, how many of our children or our family is busy with a worship of self. How many hours are spent looking in the mirror? How many use a mirror this morning? There's a growing initiative. There's nothing wrong with stewarding our bodies well. I, I advocate for, for good daily exercise, for a healthy and active lifestyle. But who here has, has been in a gym? Like a local gym where you exercise? No one? How many mirrors are in that gym? <laughs> a whole wall, at least. If they're poor, if they've got a lot of people, they got a couple, they got a few walls in there. You know, we've got entire social media platforms. Now, it's a wonderful tool. Technology, internet, and, and I, man, I'm going to throw the gospel out there. If you see my social media account, I hope you've encountered the gospel. And yet there are entire platforms built so that people can share pictures of themselves. Who can give a perfect picture of their home life. Who can validate themselves as, as parents or as spouses, as a husband, or as a wife, or how good of a worker they are, or how, how right their choice has been in career, or in service, or anything else. How often I've seen people serve in food pantries, or in soup kitchens, and say, Check it out, guys. We're loving Jesus today. 
So there's something to put us on guard. And the flip side of that is, is that we need to fear God. How few people fear they will actually be eaten by worms and die for that behavior. They just don't. We don't fear God. Whenever we come into His presence, we should fear. This church feared. They, they didn't fear for their own life. They feared God. They feared whenever they came into the presence and they held back their gift and saw Peter said, how could you lie to the Spirit? And he falls down and dies right now in His presence. And his wife comes in and he offers her the opportunity for honesty. Did you give? Did you have this such and such amount? Is this what you sold it for? Have you given it all? Yes, absolutely. That's it. How could you plot in vain? Your husband's died and you will die too. Dead. Down. Drag her out on the floor. And all of the church growth strategies that I've heard, that I've read, that I've seen advertised to me, that was not included in any one of them. Tell people, if you're going to come in here and fake it till you make it, I'm going to call for God's death upon you right now. He's going to put you to death. We're going to put you to death. Church, we have to fear God. Do you not fear God anymore? If you tell me after week in and week out, after we've, we've invested in, in, in catechisms, after we've tried to teach, look, worship with your family, and then you come in and you say, yeah, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't open God's Word this week. We'll try harder next week. Do you not fear God? When you say, yeah, you know, look, I, we're, we're going to, we're going to do more and I, and I want to serve more. Listen, I want to, I want to love the church, but you know, I, I really, I've got a point. There's a bar that I want to hit in the 401k or, or that I want to pay off on, on this number of bills or get the house paid off and then I'll serve. Do you not fear God at all? What is it that you fear more than God? You need to make preparations. The end's coming. Christ is going to return. You need to make preparations in your finances and around the house and in the garden. Good, good endeavors. Look heartily for the Lord's return. Have you forgotten who it is that's coming? Will you make more preparations than what Christ makes for His own church? For His own bride? Will you better prepare for His coming than He will prepare you? This is why we've included on the, on the back of the bulletin, I want to read this from 2 Chronicles 7.14. 14. 
If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Church, if you don't make any more preparations, if you don't make any preparations in the garden, in your 401k, in your finances, in your chore chart uh, to structure your home well. Seek His face. Seek God while there is yet time. Draw near to God that He would draw near to you. We spent in the weeks past talking about how weighty it is to take the name of Christ. Here you are the one who is called by His name. All that is left for you to do is to seek the face of God in Jesus Christ. This is the message that we have. It bears weight. And, and brother or sister, you go out as one with authority. When you have left off of the world, when you have signed out of this kingdom and you have forsaken your rights and privileges in this world and you have taken on the yoke of our Savior, You go out as one with authority. One who's able to call out what is wicked in the world. One who's able to tell this message of life that others might be saved. And so that's an natural and the necessary end. And that's what we see as we see the building of the church and all that has gone on and we've, we're viewing this history, you're going to see the church then go out. And so how naturally it is that we study the early church and we see as we embrace death, as we seek God, as we're sustained by God, we begin to see the world in a light that we've never seen it before. We preach. But not without learning all of these things first. And so let's pray to that end. Father, we come to You and we ask that You would reveal Yourself to us in such a way that we would greet death. Father, that we would humble ourselves. That we as a church would be ready to forsake our rights, comforts, and privileges. Father, that when our trial, whenever our day of trial does come whenever that is. God, that we would not be surprised that we will have died already. 
And so, Father, we pray that so long as you see fit to give us life, to give us favor, Lord, that we would draw near to you, that we would tell others of this good news, that we wouldn't leave off of the study of your word, that we wouldn't leave off the praise of your name within our homes every single day. God, that this wouldn't be a metaphor to us, but that we would hit our knees, that we would worship out loud and praise you daily. Father, that we wouldn't forsake the teaching of our children. We wouldn't forsake the consecration of one another as spouses within our homes. We wouldn't draw each other to greater faithfulness. That we wouldn't leave off of, of, of telling the brethren. Of seeking the next point at which we can meet with one another. God, that you would help us to be faithful in shining a light on this ministry of death that surrounds us. In a very real way, even today as our children are slaughtered in the womb. As they are trafficked and killed. Even in our own country. As our brothers and sisters are persecuted for their faith all around the world today. Father, that you would ready us that we might be poured out as a drink offering. And Father, that you would forbid in our life any opportunity that we would be tempted to take any level of glory to ourselves. Teach us to say, not us, God, not us, but for your glory alone. God, that you would guide us, that you would consecrate us, that you would grow our homes in obedience, in purity, in maturity of the faith, for your glory in Christ alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationships, and grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single sermon, and come and grow with us.